my uh, message this morning, I'm going to try to hit two, two birds with one stone. Uh, I'm going to try to preach on what I've learned from standing firm, but at the same time, go back to our series at Exodus um, in that text where it's one of the most popular stories uh, when, when the Moses raised up his hands, the battle was won, when he lowered his hands, they were losing. It's popular. A lot of people know it. And uh, so I, I hopefully we can learn something from that when it comes to standing firm. So hopefully everybody here. I see a lot of new faces too. I, I can't wait to meet all of you <laughs> after, but it's nice to see everybody here. So uh, before I start, uh, let me just encourage you to watch the plenary sessions on the conference that we attended. Don't just take our word for it. Okay, watch the sermons themselves. They're all on YouTube. And also, uh, when it comes to our study of Exodus, watch the previous uh, messages on Exodus. Because I'm just going to jump in <laughs> where we left off. So, um, let me start off like this. <clears throat> uh, most of you know I came to Canada at the age of 12. Um, when I came here, one of the hardest things for a teenager to uh, move to a new place, uh, let alone a new country, is to fit in, find some friends. 12 years old, it's hard. Um, and the only way uh, I knew how to make friends back then was through sports. Um, my English wasn't that good, okay, coming from the Philippines. Even though, yeah, we were taught English there, but, you know, it's different when you start speaking it uh, conversationally. So um, the only way I knew how to make friends and to fit in was through sports. Uh, I was pretty good. Uh, I was a pretty good volleyball player, basketball. I know it doesn't look like it now. Uh, <laughs> 40 years ago, you know, I was pretty good basketball. Not 40 years. No, I'm not 52 yet. Uh, <laughs> I miscalculated. Either that or I'm lying. <laughs> um, I was a pretty good basketball player, volleyball player, so I used that to find my niche uh, in, in, in society here in, in North America. So along the way, I made lots of friends, some of whom I'm still friends with, uh, today. Um, now, I used to play in this Filipino, all-Filipino basketball league. Uh, those of you who've been here long enough, it's called Philac or Philcan. Those, those of you who know it, okay, Philac or Philcan. Um, aside from playing basketball, these leagues were also known for another thing, uh, in-game fights and post-game fights. There always seems to be fighting in Filipino leagues. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. In the game you fight, after the game you fight. Uh, so not only are you supposed to be good at basketball, you're supposed to be good at some kind of self-defense. Uh, <laughs> right? Boxing, MMA. Uh, <laughs> but most of the time, um, these fights were really unnecessary. Like if we won the game, I can understand if you want to fight us after the game. But if we lost the game, why would you want to fight us? There's no reason to, to fight. But sometimes these just happens. These fights just happens in most of our games. Uh, it's, it's like we didn't even have a choice. Either you fight or you get beat up. So we, what we're going to do is we're going to try to see a similar situation in this part of the Exodus narrative that we're in, in the last half of chapter 17. Uh, but before we do that, let me just do a quick recap of the uh, story so far. So, so far we've seen the Israelites escape from Egypt, right? All through God's power. God dealt with their external enemies at the miracle by the sea. Once and for all, he got rid of the enemy of the Israelites. 
but all throughout this journey, throughout the wilderness, God continues to deal with their internal enemies, their struggles with unbelief, right? And all of these difficulties that the people of Israel have faced so far uh, at Mara, at the desert of Zin, um, at Meribah and, Ma and, and at Rephidim, all these were not caused by external circumstances. The enemies that they had were internal. It was the unbelief that they still carried with them. Um, and, and not just unbelief, but discontentment, if you remember this from the previous sermon. Now, the latest one, the latest problem that they encountered was lack of water uh, at Rephidim, uh, where the people of Israel went as far as to question God's goodness. Remember this? If you, if you didn't hear the sermon, I encourage you to listen to it. Um, so they not only doubted God's motives for freeing them from slavery, they doubted his goodness to them. Uh, they did not learn to trust him when they faced a similar problem, um, when that the one that they faced in Mara, which is a lack of water. Um, but again, what, what did God do? Instead of getting angry, instead of just disowning them, God came through. God proved himself faithful and good to the grumbling, discontent people of Israel. How? By providing the Israelites with what they needed at the time, which was water. And in, in giving them water, God, God taught them three things. First was to God wanted to be seen as the same God who saves. Remember those? Three S's. God wanted to be seen as the same God who saves. And it's going to continue to save. Right? By this, what God is doing is building up their faith. Building up their confidence in Him. Right? Um, and again, this event happened at a place called Rephidim, where uh, that actual place means a place of rest. They were supposed to learn how to rest in God, right? But because of their unbelief and discontent, the Israelites, uh, for the Israelites, this place became a place of a test. Right? They weren't just tested, they were testing God. You remember this? They sued God because of uh, what they feel is God's not being good to them. They put him on trial, they tested him, but really God was testing them. Um, so... Uh, the first thing to notice here as we continue the story at Rephidim uh, is that uh, the story never really finished. The story didn't really say that, you know what, the Israelites, uh, after Moses struck the rock, they drank from the water from the rock. It doesn't really say that, right? Uh, it doesn't say that they rejoiced uh, after drinking water, that they rejoiced that God is continuing to be faithful to them. It doesn't say that. If you notice at the end of verse 7, um, um, the, the text or the narrative says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's the end of that story. It doesn't say that they drank off the rock. Right? Now, if we were to take the text literally, the story seems to have taken a turn for the worse. How? In the next test that they were about to face. And note that while the Israelites were in the middle of grumbling to God, the test came. Right? What was the test? Somebody named Amalek started a fight with them. Let's read the text one more time. 17 verse 8. I'm going to read it. It starts off like this. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So they were grumbling to God, is he with us or not? 
then, right away, somebody picked a fight with the Israelites. Now, if you were reading your Bible, what would be the first question to ask? Who's this guy? <laughs> right? Who is Amalek? And why would he want to go start a fight with the Israelites? According to one commentary, uh, it says, The Amalekites were nomads who traced their lineage back to Jacob's brother Esau, back in Genesis 36. And thus, they were long-standing ethnic tensions between the two, two tribes. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Jacob stole Esau's birthright as well. How? He lied to him, tricked him. Well, not him, but right, he tricked him. So when they were fighting against the Israelites, that the background is that they had this already this tension between them. Some commentaries are saying that they were fighting the Israelites because they were taking water from them. Because they were drinking water from uh, at Rephidim. But really, when you think about that, no, water came from a rock. <laughs> the Amalekites don't, don't know that. That was only for the Israelites. So really, it's this, this tension between them because of their lineage or their ancestry. Uh, GodQuestions.org also answered the question saying this, Genesis 36 refers to the descendants of Amalek, the son of Eliphaz, the grandson of Esau. Uh, they were the Amalekites. So the Amalekites were somewhat related to, but distinct from the Edomites, which was the people that came from Esau. Uh, so the Amalekites attack uh, recorded in Exodus 17 was just first of many. This wasn't the, the only attack. They kept attacking them over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. If you read the, all the books of the Torah, right, the five, first five books, all the way up to the book of Esther, you will see references to the Amalekites attacking the Israelites. Generation upon generation, the descendants of Amalek, who was the descendant of Esau, pursued and brutalized the Israelites. And generation upon generation, God protected and guided his people to victory. Now, what's interesting is if you read the account in Deuteronomy, it says this. You guys read it. Keep going. 18th. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, like that of the nails, those who were that behind you, and you did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land of the Lord your God is giving you for an Moses, in his final sermons in the book of Deuteronomy, said to the Israelites, remember? Remember when the Amalekites attacked you. Don't forget that. Remember that. Now, why is my question. That's always my question. Why? What can we learn from this part of the story? First, this part of this history of the Israelites is a picture of our own spiritual journey. I've, I've said this over and over again throughout our study of Exodus. Now, when you read Exodus, it looks like the journey of a Christian, right? from being saved from the hands of Egypt, of the Egyptians, to this 40 years of walking through the desert, right? is our spiritual or a picture of our spiritual journey. But what we need to note is that our spiritual journey will always interact with our objective reality. 
the spiritual journey of a Christian will always interact or intersect with our objective reality, with this. Everything that we do somehow has something to do with our spiritual journey. Right? If you're falling asleep right now, if you're feeling sleepy, that's part of it. It's true. Right? It is true. Right? I, I don't have the time to explain it right now, but even that is part of our spiritual journey. That spiritual journey that we walk in as believers will always intersect with, interact with our objective reality. Again, remember, the people of Israel, at the point where Amalek attacked them, were already free people. Right? They were free. The Egyptians, their, their greatest enemy was defeated. Those of us who are sitting here, we're free people. If you're a believer, okay, if, you've, if you're saved, you, 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 you profess Christ uh, as Lord and Savior by faith, you're free. Who are those people? I guess not everybody you're free people. But the reality is there's still a battle going on. That's why you feel. Right? It's as simple as that. There is that reality. It intersects. Our spiritual journey intersects and interacts with our objective reality. It's always going to be that way. But we have to always remind ourselves that we're free. We're free. We have to remember the God who freed us, right? Now, as far as the Israelites were concerned, it was God who fought all their battles for them, right? On the way out of Egypt and on the way to defeating the Egyptians once and for all. There was no effort that was required of the Israelites by God in order for them to win their freedom, right? It was God all the way, right? They may have painted the blood of the lamb on the posts, but that's it. Everything else was trust and obey. Amen? That's how they were freed. That's how they were saved. Then after that, they were tested one after the other in the wilderness. What was the test for? To strengthen, continue to strengthen their faith in God. For what purpose? Why is God strengthening them? Strengthening their faith, confidence in Him. Why? Because God knew that His people would face Tremendous opposition on the way to the promised land. That's where we're at. On the way to the promised land, we're in the desert. We're going to face tremendous opposition. Sleepiness is not even <laughs> part of the opposition. Right? But that's where we're at. And the only way that we're going to persevere this time is to actually fight. Objectively, in reality, fight. Fight your sleepiness. Okay. Don't tell me, no, I, that's what I'm doing. I'm praying so that God will fight for me. No. <laughs> you actually have to fight. We all actually have to fight because the battle is not just spiritual. It also leaks into the physical. It intersects with the physical. Now I'm sure, given the choice, uh, the Israelites would rather not fight. Remember? They were dressed for battle, but they weren't ready for battle. It was a costume party. Uh, by the way, did you guys saw that? Uh, Halloween is now uh, all year round in Ontario. You guys see that? New rule, new law? That you can dress up whatever you want, all year round. 
You can pretend it's Halloween all year round. That's great. Some of us, that's perfect. I don't have to be me all year round. That's part of the fight, by the way. And I'll get into that later on. Fight is not only spiritual, it's physical. Uh, and again, uh, I'm sure if given a choice, the Israelites would rather not fight because they're, not just, they're just not ready for it. But the reason why they needed to fight was because this battle represents something bigger. Okay? I know the story says they fought Amalek. Uh, it was Joshua and, and, and uh, his army that fought Amalek. But really, there's something bigger going on here that I want us to see. It is the battle between good and evil. Classic story. The battle between good and evil. That's why in in, uh, Deuteronomy 25, Moses told the people of God, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out, weak and weary because of lack of water. That's why they were grumbling before God to begin with, right? They met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Why would they, or why would Moses say that? Why would he remind them to remember this battle? I believe it's for them to be reminded that being the people of God, they will always be hated. There's somebody out there who will always hate you, who will always oppose what you're doing, who will always um, pick a fight with you. Um, when Genesis 3.15, I'm going to bring it back all the way here because I think it goes all the way to this. When, Genesis, uh, when God said in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. The enmity that God is talking about here is the reality that good and evil will never mix. Never. They will never see eye to eye. They will never come to an understanding and just peace will come from it. It's never going to happen. There will always be hostility between those who are the seed of the serpent and those who belong to the seed of the woman. Who here belongs to the seed of the woman? Nobody. Not me. No way. If you don't belong to the seed of the woman, you belong to... See, there's a serpent. Maybe that's why you're sleepy. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. Right? There will always be that enmity. It's never going to go away. There will always be a fight. And for those who belong to the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent will always come after them. The seed of the serpent will always be on the attack. They will never just leave you alone. Some think that if I just keep my mouth shut and not tell anybody I'm part of the seed of the woman, that I'm a Christian, that the enemy will just leave them alone. Right? No, they won't. It's like watching those movies where they, you know, they they try to avoid a fight by hiding behind like a a thin tree. That's never going to happen. They're always going to come after you. They're always going to be on the attack. They will always force you to fight or be destroyed. Always. And their goal at this point in time is not to kill you physically. I know some of us, oh, no. No, it's to kill your faith. It's always to kill 
your faith. That's why God, when he went and, and brought the Israelites, led them to the wilderness, is to strengthen their faith. Because that's what's going to be attacked. It's always that as far as the spiritual realm goes, but then it always intersects with our physical reality. Deuteronomy 25, again, Moses reminded the people of Israel how they were attacked by the Amalekites when they were weak and weary. When their faith is at its lowest. Why? Because there was no water. Right? They were attacked at that point. And, they were, and those who were lagging behind, those are the ones that were cut off. That's the rule of the jungle, right? Only the strong survive. So those who were lagging behind. If you watch the, the nature shows, the lions always hunt for those who are sick and weak. and Always. That's why we're trying to strengthen you here at this church. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's what those two sermons were for before this. For you to stand firm, stand strong. Right? So when the attack comes, you're not lagging behind. You're not weak and weary. Your faith is strong. No matter what, what kind of attack comes your way, you'll be able to stand firm. That's what we're trying to do always because the attack will always come. And we need to fight. Need to fight. There's no choice but to stand firm and fight. I'm looking at people here, they don't, you don't look like you're a bunch of people who wants to fight. I'm just going to sleep through it. I'll be good when I wake up. <laughs> we need to fight. Right? Look at what happened. Exodus 17, again, 9 to 13. What did Moses do? So Moses, and, so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men. We'll go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. By the way, if that verse was read in today's society, that will not be accepted. Because Moses chose only men. Do you know that there is a uh, gender, whatever, Bible, no, correct Bible? Yeah, you should look, at, look that up. I'll get into that later. But <laughs> these are the battles we were, were, were in right nowadays. Chose, uh, Moses cho chose men told Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff, staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hand on one side, and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So uh, there's a lot of um, ways you can look at this as far as application is concerned. Um, but we're going to try to look at it this way. Riken again, comments that the survival of the Israelites were in danger once again, but this time they had to stand and fight. It was still God fighting for them because when Moses raised up his hand, what was he really doing? Asking God for help, right? Prayer. Um, so it was really God fighting for them, but physically, Joshua was there fighting as well, right? 
Reichen comments this, not only were they fighting in self-defense, but they were also waging a holy war in which were fighting, they were fighting for the glory of God. So another lesson that we can learn from this part of the story is this, like it or not, ready or not, we, and I'm talking about Christians, are in a spiritual battle and we have to fight. You cannot not fight or you will be destroyed, right? You have to fight. Reichen comments that this battle is another Old Testament type or a biblical event that shows a believer's pattern of life in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you are part of this battle. Some of you are losing right now. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. Ah, oh, you keep using that. But some of you are losing this fight. I can see, I can, I can, I'm watching from here. Some of you are getting beat. You need a Moses. To... Be Moses. Whoever, you're, if you're sitting to someone who's losing, be a Moses. Raise up their hand. Some of you are losing. <laughs> Fight. Right? And by the way, the fight doesn't start here. It starts. It started yesterday. Should have slept early, got your rest, whatever. Uh, but anyway, we have to fight. If you're a believer, you're part of this battle. Everyone who professes faith in Christ is, we're free from the powers of death and hell. But if you're still a living follower of Jesus, you're still at war because the enemies of Christ have yet to surrender. Reichen right? again comments, we are engaged in a constant spiritual struggle to resist temptation and carry on the work of Christ and his gospel the attacks we face are often sudden unprovoked sometimes but unlike the wars in the Old Testament they are spiritual not physical Ephesians 6 Paul says this Can you guys read that Just like what I said at the start, even though this battle with the Amalekites are pointing us to a spiritual, greater, bigger spiritual battle, it doesn't mean that there's no objective, real, physical fight that's going on. There is. Right? Ask any martyr. Ask anybody. Well, you can't ask any martyrs. They're dead. But if we were able to ask them, I just realized that now. How can you ask a martyr? Maybe in heaven. Um... Ask any of these martyrs in heaven, and they will tell you how real these spiritual battles are. Okay? Ask those who are tempted to alcoholism, tempted to drug addiction. Ask them how real these spiritual battles are. Those of us who are battling anxiety, ask them how real these spiritual battles are. There is a realness to these battles physically. But the ultimate cost, we need to realize, if these battles are lost, are not merely physical, temporal losses. They are spiritual, eternal losses. That's why for a believer, the challenge is even greater. If the spiritual battles that we're going to be fighting has eternal um, consequences, for a believer, the challenge is even greater. 
Why? Let me read to you again another comment from Reichen. Our real enemy is not other people, whether outside or inside the church. If we see them as our spiritual opponents, then we will end up demonizing them, and we will also fail to sense our own great danger of falling into sin. Our real enemy is Satan himself with all his unholy helpers. Even after we are saved, they keep attacking us in the hope that we will do something to dishonor God and thus rob us or rob him of his glory. So when we're fighting these battles, we have to discern which are the ones that are lost sheep and which are the ones that are wolves. Because that's, that's the fight. We're not just called to beat the Amaleks of this world, which are the wolves. We're also called to fight against lost sheep. Right? And there's a danger in both of us. There's a danger to us to fall into sin. The sin of anger, sin of unbelief. There's a danger for us in this fight. Or to say it another way, uh, you know, the Christians have this, um, I don't know how to call it, uh, two challenges, right? We are called to slay the enemy, at the same time, save the enemy. You get it? We're called to slay enemy and save the enemy. Because there's no telling. I, I can't tell if somebody's a, a wolf unless it's that guy in the video. That guy is obviously a wolf. He's got this little thing on with the colors. Obviously. <laughs> right? But some, some, some Christians are like that, but you can't really tell. So we're not called to just slay those people. We're called to save them as well. Right? We're not called to just slay the enemy, but also to save the enemy. We're called to confront and care at the same time. Confront and care. At the same time, we're called to rebuke and restore at the same time. It's so hard to do this, right? Like it's, it's like this. Uh, I used to take uh, lifeguarding uh, lessons. It's high school. This is high school. I'm not like a real lifeguard. Um, like a fake one that sits on the thing. And just, oh, somebody's drowning, you just throw them afloat. Uh, <laughs> so I don't have a license or anything like that. But in high school, they teach you, if somebody's panicking while drowning, don't go after them right away. Just let them tire out. So that you don't get hurt. Because if you jump after them being the hero, you could drown too. Right? And the Coast Guard, when they're trying to rescue somebody in, this, in the middle of the sea, and they're panicking, what are they called to do? <laughs> yeah. If they're panicking, just wake them up first. Just calm them down. And then grab. Because if, you're, if they're panicking, they're going to get a hold of you. They're not going to let go. You're going to drown too. Um, if, have you seen those videos where they're trying to save a, 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 a beach shark? Like a shark that got beached. You can't just save the shark. You just go put him back in the ocean. You get bit. <laughs> or somebody who's trying to get a snake out from a house. Like a poisonous snake. You can't just, you'll get bit. Right? Somebody whose cell phone is off. You'll get bit. Um, Christians are called to rescue and restore. 
Christians are called to slay and save. Now that pastor that we saw earlier, right, he's one of these progressive Christians. I'm not saying that progressive Christians can't get saved. I think some of them can. But if they're pastoring, <laughs> if they're leading people astray, they, I don't know if um, they're still one of those who can be restored. Um, well, not up to me, right? It's up to God to restore. We still need to approach and still try to, you know, share with them the, the, the meaning of the true gospel instead of him going off on John 3.16 talking about we're all gods as long as you receive the light. No, there's still a way to that. But you know what I'm saying, right? There's a, there's a difference between an outright wolf and a sheep who's just lost. Right? There's a difference. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that these progressive Christians cannot be saved anymore, but we have to be careful when we approach them. Right? Be careful, no, not be drawn into angry debates. Or worse, be careful that you're not convinced by their gospel. That's why it's so important for you to stand firm. I think it was Brother Philip that mentioned Stand firm on God's word. Because even though they say these things, some of us, it's just it's starting to sound good. These guys, the one that I chose to show you, is, is obvious. right? But there are some who, when you listen to their messages, yeah, that seems about right. And I listen to a lot of these people, not so that I can, you know, be dragged into that or I can debate with them. No. So I can warn you not to listen to them. Especially these pastors who are in uh, big emerging churches or emerging churches, transformation church. Uh, what else? There's, a, there's one here uh, in Toronto. Um, I forget their name. Elevation. You listen to the messages, sounds right. If you don't have your knowledge, if you're not, you know, grounded firmly on the word, you'll be like, yeah, maybe I should just go there. At least they don't call me out when I'm sleeping. Be careful with these. Try to save them, but be careful. Be careful they don't bite you, right? Now, uh, even though... You know, the goal of the Christian is to somehow, by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, bring these kinds of people to the light of the true gospel. We're not, we're not the ones who are to call them to repentance or who to bring them to repentance, not to call them to repentance, but to bring them to repentance. That's God's job, right? So Second uh, Timothy 2, 24 to 26. You guys read it again. Right, it's clear. God may bring them to repentance. Our job is to call them to repentance, but not to bring them to repentance. So what do we do with the wolves? Just like the pastor that we saw. Uh, some of them are called reverends. You have the big churches. And we were talking about this in uh, Sunday school. The king gets his glory from the people, right? And some of these churches, they have 
three, four times the membership that we have. You have big churches, three, four times the membership that we have. Why? Because they preach to the people what the people want to hear. We, we don't. I don't. If you hear anybody here preaching to these messages, gospel messages, you should just leave. Right? And that's the reason why they have all these following, all the following that they have, even on, online. Because that, that's what they do. Um, but what do we do with those pastors that we saw earlier? Let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew 10. Uh, 14 to 15. If anyone will not receive you, this is when he sent out the 75, these are the, uh, the 72, these are the instructions. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Next verse, 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God is going to deal with them. We're supposed to share, but we have to be careful. We don't want to be brought into that, but trust that God will deal with them. Right? We are called to share the gospel to these people, or let me say to all people, but if it becomes obvious that they just won't listen, seed of the serpent, they're just provoking you to a heated debate, then Jesus calls us to walk away. And let God deal with them. Second Peter 2, 1-3. to Guys, read. They will secretly bring false teachings. Why is it secret? Isn't it obvious what they say? Why, why would you say secret? Because some of us, we don't know what the real one is. That's why to us, it's a secret. It's like going to Green Hills, right? Everybody, anybody here go to Green Hills in the Philippines? Fake everything. But they look real. Eh? Fake Nikes. I was looking for shoes in the real malls. Couldn't find it. Uh, my wife's like, just go to Green Hills. They'll have it there in stock. Because <laughs> it's all fake. Some of us, we don't know. We can't tell what fake is from real. If you don't stand, if you're not standing firm in God's word, if you don't see God in the scriptures, just like what Pastor Mike said, it'll be easy for you to get, yeah, to get persuaded, to get fooled. By these secret doctrines. That's why we try to strengthen you. That's why we try to teach you, warn you, uh, to stand firm on the truth of God's word. Because there are a lot of these false teachers running around right now. And the, the hard part is there are a lot of them that are disguised as evangelicals, Christians. And a lot of Christians, even whole churches, they affirm these teachings. And it's so hard to speak against because you're just this small voice. The, the influence that we have as a church is so small. Theirs is huge. 
they'll reach more people. So I'm just trying to protect the flock here. And hopefully, you guys are awake and in this battle with me. Amen? Now, those are easy. See them a mile away. But what we're dealing with, friends, what if we're dealing with loved ones who are self-professed Christians but have a wrong understanding of what it means to be a Christian? What do you do with it? You can't just, you know, dust off your feet and leave. Uh, my mom can't get it. My, you know, my brother can't get it. My sister can't. Do I just, and just leave? We can't do that, right? What if we have self-professed Christians in our church who have a wrong understanding of what it means to be a Christian? What do you do with them? Exodus 17, again, 9 to 13. I'm going to read it. Oh, yes, you guys read it. <laughs> you guys read it. something it's not my notes but I'm really blessed to see that um, our church didn't miss a step even though I was away our job my job as a pastor is to work myself out of a job you know what I'm saying my job is to work myself out of a job in that even if I'm taken away like right now if I was to just collapse here with a heart attack this church will not skip a beat um, and it's for me, it's a blessing to see that, that wow, cause I'm watching the services online. Like I'm not even needed. Great. Praise God. <laughs> praise God for that. Because that's, that's my, my goal, is to work myself out of a job and to see this church continue to grow and continue to fight, even though I'm not here. Um, but having said that, my point is that God will fight. Now, even though, yeah, we'll see on the story, uh, Moses raised up his hands. And again, the raising of the hands and the, the holding up of his hands by the leaders. There's another sermon there that, I, you know, you, you can probably tell where I'm going with that sermon, right? But the, the point is, um, it is God who will sometimes need to fight for us if we can't do what Joshua does. We can't just hack people with the word and beat them with the sword. God has to fight for us, uh, and God will um, bring us the victory. If we're dealing with loved ones, self-professed Christians, uh, how do you fight them? There's only way, one, one way to fight them is to raise up our hands to God in prayer. Continue to share, continue to minister, continue to do all that, 
But really, uh, we can't be as aggressive as we are with the false teachers. Right? Uh, I listened to this uh, channel uh, called Apologia Studios. Uh, they're apologists. Uh, they're the ones who debate with these false teachers. And, and the guy, who, the pastor there that's uh, heading up that channel said that, and you know, sometimes it may sound harsh when I talk to these false teachers, but sometimes you have to be harsh with false teachers. But you can't be like that with a brother, a sister, church member. That's different. That's lost sheep. Right? They can't really hurt you. They'll hurt your feelings. The sheep don't bite. The sheep just don't attack. They ju they're just not that kind of animal. Right? So if these people are really sheep, they can't really hurt you. But if they're starting to spread false teachings, which we've had some in this church, then you'd have to deal with them differently. Right? Deal with them as wolves. One of the uh, main qualifications for me, as if, you're, if you want to become an elder, are you, are you willing to fight the wolves? <laughs> because if you're not, then you can't be an elder. Uh, are you willing to fight these wolves? But at the same time, care for the, care for the sheep. Uh, that's what we're called to do as Christians, right? Um, but so if we're dealing with people who are family, if we're dealing with uh, people who are in the church, who are... Um, Lost, just lost sheep. We can't just walk away whenever we have disagreements. Um, the only way to fight them is with prayer. Um, you can spend some time away from each other just to cool off, but then if you're both truly Christians, you should reconcile. You should restore. Um, and, and really, I say that because sometimes... Discussing the Word of God with someone who does not have the ears to listen yet will just lead to a heated argument or debate regarding scriptures. If they're a brother or sister, if they're family, like biological family, don't kill them with the sword. <laughs> you have to be patient with them. You have to pray for, for them. Moses fought alongside Joshua, not with an actual sword, but with a humble surrender to God in prayer. Um, another comment says this, if we do not ask God to defend us, um, then our members will be divided. Our leaders will fall into sin. Our missionaries will fail to see any fruit. And the lost will not hear the gospel, both individually and corporately. The neglect of prayer means the loss of spiritual warfare. Even if we fight like Joshua, we will not win the battle unless we pray like and that applies to both the wolves and the sheep. You need to pray when you're dealing with wolves. You need to pray when you're dealing with sheep. The hard part is, as Christians, we're called to fight both. You're fighting off a wolf. Meanwhile, the sheep is biting your ankle, running away. Meanwhile, you're trying to fight off, fend off these wolves, chase after the sheep. You need to do both. You have no choice. You need to fight. Christians, followers of the promised seed in Genesis 3.15, will always have enmity with the seed of the serpent. The enemy will never stop being hostile to those who follow Christ. That's why in the Bible, when John 3.16 and Jesus preaches the, love, the, the, the salvation that Christ brings is for the world, right? Whoever believes. Jesus calls us, love your enemies. And then you go to 1 John, 
First John says, do not love the world. How are we supposed to not love and love? By the way, that's one of the sermons in the conference that we went to. Do not love the world. Meanwhile, we're called to love the world, even our enemies. What are we, what are we supposed to not to love when it comes to the world? It's the system of the world. Don't love the system. What's the system? It's all about self. Right? Oh, I'm just going to say yes to these people who are preaching against uh, you know, the, God, the true gospel because we're supposed to be inclusive of everybody. How is that loving the system? Because you're trying to protect yourself from criticism. Meanwhile, you're preaching what these people want to hear so they pack in your churches. They come to your churches. No, we're not supposed to be doing that. We're not supposed to be having our phones on during the... <laughs> well, you understand what I'm saying? We're called to love the world. At the same time, don't love the world. If you want to listen to the full sermon, go listen to Vadi Bakum's. He's the last one in the conference. So go listen to that. All right? Followers of the promised seed in Genesis 3.15 will always have enmity with those who are the seed of the serpent. The enemy will not stop. Look, look. Just as I'm, as I'm getting to the main point. Everybody distracted. <laughs> but <laughs> do you see what I'm saying here? It just played out in front of us. As I get to the main point, click, 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 click. And everybody's looking at the. Nobody's listening to what I'm saying here. This time just make it real for you guys? It just became real for me. Like, yo, you just press off or do something. But isn't it, isn't it just, it's real. I'm not trying to make this up. The, the spiritual battle in the spiritual realm will intersect with our reality. And it's always like that. If you're a Christian, you're part of that. You're part of that battle. The enemy will never stop being hostile to those who are followers of Christ. That's why Jesus said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Will you be the one enduring on your own strength, power, will, might? No. God will fight for you. But you got to fight you got to fight. And in order to endure, in order to persevere, we have no choice but to stand firm and fight. Even though the message that we preach is <laughs> not accepted, mm -mm. Not, in the, not even in the Philippines. It's not accepted anywhere. We're going to be hated. Do you see what happened in the, the African nations when they passed that bill? Did you see that? You watch the news? They passed this bill to make um, homosexual relationships illegal in African nations. Did you see the reaction of the Canadian Prime Minister and the U.S. government? The Canadian Prime Minister condemned them. And they cut off supply, help supply to these African nations, to the Congo, to Nigeria, to. They cut off the supply. Oh, yeah? You're going to hate on the 
You know, you're going to be discriminating the, uh, the homosexuals. You'll get no food from us. You're not going to get any help from us. Their spiritual battle just became real. Because their people are dying of hunger. But they stood firm. Right? And that's what's going to happen. Those of you who are eschatologists, post-trib, that's what's going to happen. Some of us, no, we're pre. We'll be raptured out. Amen. <laughs> but if we're, we're still here and all these things start happening, guess what? Get the sign of the 666 on your forehead or you can't go shopping anymore. You can't go buy food anymore. What are you going to do? Stand firm. You don't waver. You, you stay there and you fight. You have no choice. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. And I'm going to close. Fight the good fight. Everything in our lives okay, that are happening in the physical realm is a spiritual battle. On the way home, I always disasterize my flight home. Every time I go on a flight, I always disasterize it. That's why we, before we left, we left a power of attorney to our kids. Uh, the will has to be done. <laughs> Just in case something happens, right? Our kids will not, will not be, you know, they'll be taken care of. So we left all that. Coming back, I couldn't sleep. I said, what if, the, same thing. What if the plane crashes? I have to, and it crashes in the sea. I have to save my wife from drowning. But then I will drown too. Do I want to do that? Couldn't sleep. And I was starting to get anxious just like that first time that that happened before. I was starting to just, oh, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to fly again. I'm never but we, you can't. You know, even though, yeah, it sounds like a, it's bad to be a Christian. Those of you who are not Christians here, they're probably saying, good thing I'm not a Christian. I have to face all that. It's not. It's a higher, it's a higher calling. Because if you're a Christian, your faith makes your joy bulletproof. You know what I'm talking about? That even though, yeah, yeah, the plane, the plane might crash. We might get closed down as a church if somebody watches this <laughs> that are not, uh, you know, that, are not, that don't agree with the message. That might happen. But we have a greater hope, right? Um, I had a chance to visit my classmate. I have three minutes. I have a chance to visit my classmate in the Philippines. We were classmates from junior kinder, grade one, two, three, all the way to grade six when I left and came here. She was a, a director uh, for... Accenture in California, uh, IT director. She finished civil engineering, but she was a director working in California um, for Accenture. She sold everything, left everything, bought a two-hectare land in Batangas, not knowing that God was going to use them to minister to the people there, the farmers who are living there. So I, I learned about this, and so when we... 
had the chance to come back home. I called her up. Yo, let's meet up. I want to see your ministry so we can come visit. And we visited them. They showed us. They're, start, they're, they're trying to start a school because the children that they're trying to minister to, they're trying to help, you know, share them, with them the Bible. The problem is that these children can't really read because their school is like an hour's walk away from where they're at. So they have to teach them to read first before they can share with them the gospel. Anyway, they started a school. It's called the School with No Walls. And it's literally just a roof and no walls, right? They're starting to, to start that school, and they're looking for partners. And I said, maybe our church can partner with you. But let me go see the, the place first. We went there. We saw the place. We saw where they were living. Um, they built their own house. Like, they built it. She's a civil engineer. She designed it. Her husband built it. No electricity. So her husband's an electrical engineer. He designed solar panels so that they can have electricity. But anyway, so we were looking at this house. We were looking at this, uh, talking, talking about ministry, how they became a Christian, what started this ministry, all that. Before we left, my friend, um, Besky, uh, that's not her real name, by the way. I just gave her, I gave her that name in grade two or grade one. She kept it all the way. Yeah, and she made her name legally that. It's on her business cards. But anyway, <laughs> she told me, um, but before you go, let me just say this. Don't think that, we, that God put us on this low place. Because they were successful. Don't think that God put us on this low place. Because we're happy to be here. We want to be here. Because there's more joy here than being a, probably the, a VP for Accenture. It's not just them. Uh, the pastor that we uh, support in uh, uh, Tuba, in Benguet, Pastor Bier and his wife, they're both professionals. They left all of it to minister to the Igorots in Benguet. But don't think that, that God is putting you in this little... You know, why is God making me suffer? Because for some of us, that will be like suffering, right? I asked my wife, can you live here? <laughs> can you do this? I'll just pray for you. <laughs> But that's the last thing that she told me. Don't think that this, this you know, us living here, because apparently some of their family members think that they're crazy for living a great job in the States, especially for their kids, to do that. But they're like, don't think that, because we're happy to be here. I, they think that it's, they were lifted up instead of being brought low. I feel the same way. Right? I, was, I used to work for a bank. I was good. I was, you know, no problems. But God called me to this, and I'm like, man, why is Pastor Luis killing me? <laughs> but don't think that. If you're a Christian and you're hearing this message, oh, man, there's always going to be opposition. This, that's a high calling. That's a high calling from God. And it, no matter what happens, he's got your back. You see what he said in Deuteronomy? Remember this, that they attacked you, but also remember that God, God is going to wipe them off the face of this earth. Did he? Yeah. Because after Esther, after the book of Esther, no more mention of the Malachites. One of these days, same thing. Whatever we're fighting with now, whatever we're in battle with now, those progressive Christian teachers, the society that's gone bonkers right now. Uh, by the way, I'm going to tackle one of the issues next week for Mother's Day. Right? That question, what is a woman? What is a mother? 
I'm going to tackle that next week. That's one of the things that we're fighting against. They don't even know what a woman is anymore. Why? Because that's the place that we live in. That's the world that we live in. Everything's turned upside down. But even though it is, and we're in the battle, we need to stand firm and fight. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. And give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be great. And be gracious unto you. And be gracious. The Lord be gracious, gracious. Lord.